Good morning. I have got a peach of a passage for you this morning. So I literally cannot wait to get started. But I'd really love to just recap very quickly on the last couple of weeks and on chapter one of 1 Samuel. This was written about two and a half thousand years ago about a Jewish family. At least that's how it starts. So if you've already been around, you'll have already heard a little bit about Hannah, her husband, who's called Elkanah, and Elkanah's other wife, who's called Peninnah. And we've been celebrating. Kids are a gift from God this morning. Poor old Hannah was not able to have children. And we're told that her heart was sad. And we see her at the temple and she's praying desperately to God for a son. She's mouthing silently her prayer. And it says she's weeping bitterly. She's really pouring it out before the Lord. She even vows that if God will give her a son, then she will give him back over to God for his whole life to be used in God's service. And we've got Eli standing nearby, local priest, who um, is watching her and trying to figure out what happens and very kindly calls her a drunken woman, which is what we all love to hear when we're being emotional. (laughs) More to follow on that. But um, she explains to him, no, 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 that's not what's happening here. I'm pouring out my heart to God. I'm desperate. I really, really want a child. In that culture, the worth of a woman was found in having children, and she desperately wanted this son. Eli sends her off and blesses her, and lo and behold, baby Samuel. So she spends a couple of years weaning Samuel, bringing him up, and she's just taken him back to Eli in the temple and handed him over to be dedicated to God's service for the rest of his life. So this is where we find Hannah at the beginning of chapter 2. So let me read Hannah's song, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shale and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. 
He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. So considering the backstory of Hannah here, this is a pretty amazing prayer. She's just handed over her first son, who she's been desperate to have. She's seen him grow up for a couple of years, and now he's been dedicated to the Lord under the care of Eli. I don't know what your emotions would be doing at this point, but I'm not sure mine would lend themselves to this exuberant song of praise. But this, this is how we find Hannah. In both of her prayers, earlier in chapter 1 and then here in chapter 2, we get a glimpse of her heart and of her emotions. In the first one, we can see she is silently mouthing this desperate prayer. She's crying Bitterly, her heart is sad. And in this prayer, we can see that she is bubbling over with joy. She cannot keep it in. I, for one, am delighted as an exceedingly emotional person to find a woman in the Bible after my own heart. And anyone who knows me knows that I am about as transparent as this. If you want to know what's going on, you just need to look here and it will tell you everything that you need to know. I cry very easily. Um, Road rage, anyone? (laughs) I can get furious, (laughs) absolutely boiling over. And the full range of emotions I feel exists um, very close to the surface (laughs) of my heart. So when we read in verse 1... Hannah's song. She says, my heart exalts in the Lord. This means um, it is seen and wowed. You look at her, her joy, her happiness in the Lord, and you go, oh, wow. My strength is exalted in the Lord because I rejoice in my salvation. Salvation saved. She's been saved from her misery. I'm so glad that she gives us this glimpse of her heart because it opens us up to consider our own hearts. I think being a very emotional person, there's benefits to that, and there's very obvious downsides as well. (laughs) One of the key benefits is that it's easy to be honest before God. You're feeling it, you pour it out to him like Hannah did in her first prayer. And then God can fill you with all of the things that you're needing or lacking. You can really see the fruit of his spirit growing in you as he comes and brings you all the things that you've poured out to him. You see his wonderful hand at work in doing what you need. And it can also mean that we can be open with one another as well. We can share life properly and openly and honestly together. We can know what is going on with each other. And that that can be wonderful. It can also be a shared experience of road rage, which uh, (laughs) Helen, when I drive her home, we have a great time together (laughs) lamenting Alfreton Road. (laughs) (laughs) The warning label 
<laughs> on feeling and revealing your emotions is that emotions are not truth-tellers. Thanks, Francis. <laughs> Hannah shows us misery. She shows us joy. And God is an emotional God. If you're not emotional and you're thinking, what is this girl going on about? God is an emotional God. He has made you with feelings. It talks about his anger in the Bible. Justified road rage. Ace. <laughs> it talks about his great love, like we've already been singing this morning. It talks about his jealousy for our hearts. It talks about his laughter. Amazing. God laughs. That is, oh, I love that. But God's emotions are instructed by his truth. It's not always the same <laughs> for us. Sometimes we just want to feel it. But actually, the Bible tells us to take every thought captive, check it against God's truth. So often our emotions are telling us lies. They're not based on anything that is good and healthy and from the Bible. So we must check every thought. In Proverbs 4, we're told, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. So honesty is really important. Emotions are, in fact, a gift from God, although they don't always feel it. But none of these things are more important than God's truth and finding out from him what he says about us and about himself and his love for us and his plans and purposes for us. In verse 2 we can see that Hannah has great head knowledge, but she also has heart experience of God. In her head knowledge, she knows that God is holy. He is other and different from us. He is far above us. His character, like Rick was saying, we can see it in part, but we will never know the fullness of God's character. He is so pure and so perfect. We can aspire, but we will never know that before we meet him face to face in heaven. She also says that he is our rock. We were hearing in our prayer time about building our house upon the rock, not upon the sand. You may know that story from the New Testament. God is, you can just imagine, I love that the Bible uses stuff we can see to help us understand God. You can just imagine a huge rock, maybe like the White Cliffs of Dover or something. That's a rock. Is that a rock? John, is that a rock? Yeah, yeah, great. So imagine that as this immovable, unchanging, stable. This is what we can build our lives upon because it is God. He's not ever going to change. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He doesn't have emotions that pull him off in a different direction. We can totally trust in him. And Hannah knows this. And yet, this wonderful line, she says, there's none like you. I've tried over there, and I've asked that person over there, and I've done that, and I've been on that diet plan, and I can say there is none like you. You are the only one who hears my silent prayers, my desperation. You are the only one who answers. Her heart has real experience of God. Verse 4 is my favorite verse in this whole thing. It reads, 
The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. The bows of the mighty. I think we build might into our lives in all sorts of really good ways. So if we want to be good stewards of our time, treasure, and talent, we go on the Freedom in Finance course and work out how to set a budget. And then we think about what time we're spending and are we resting enough and are we serving the church and are we seeing friends and are we having Matthew's party in our own lives, inviting people into our own normal worlds. We love control and we love understanding how our lives are structured. And this is all good. This is all good. But if that control then leaks into our relationship with God, we can begin to think, if I do this, then God will do that. Hannah could have easily thought, if I do this, then God will give me a son. That's not always how it works. And it's wonderful that she did get her son. God is a good father and he longs to give us the things that we want. And she was blessed and she received her baby boy and that is amazing. But what happens when God doesn't do that? This first became really precious to me when I learned a couple of weeks ago that our friend in Malawi, Clement, had died. And I remember thinking about him, this young guy, and I couldn't, don't take this the wrong way, but I couldn't find it within myself to feel sorry for him because he is now where we all are going. He is where we are desperate to be in our heart of hearts whenever we crave justice and beauty and the glory of God Clement is there. He is now in the splendor of heaven. He sees God's full character. He knows what it is to have an absence of suffering and death and sin and injury and anything that would cause us sorrow. He's no longer part of this world. He is now with the Lord in wonderful, wonderful heaven, which is where we will be because Jesus has made it possible. But... When I started thinking about Clement's friends and family, that's when the sadness kicked in. And especially Scriven, the leader of the church over there, I was so cut up for Scriven. He's lost his friend, he's lost his co-pastor, his co-worker in building this church in Blantyre. He's lost the guy that he prayed with and dreamed with and planned with. He, he sends me these emails and he's just saying, look, my, my friend's not sitting next to me anymore. You know, it's incredibly sad for him. And this verse gives incredible encouragement and comfort to him because it says the feeble bind on strength. And I just have this picture. I don't know if anyone's seen A Knight's Tale, a film, Heath Ledger, God rest his soul. Loved that man. But he, he played a guy called William Thatcher, who was a normal guy, pretended to be a knight so that he could um, go into this tournament, do some jousting. Do we all know what jousting on a horse with a... Apparently, you're not meant to call it a big stick, but that's what it is. You run at each other and someone wins. So he really wanted to do this. And in the final scene of that movie, he is spent. 
and finished and injured. And it's his last race against his classic rival. And this is it. He's had to take his armor off because he can't breathe. And he tries to hold this joust. And he can't do it. He's injured and he's exhausted. So he asks his friends to lash it onto his arm. And then he just runs and holds it. And of course, he wins. But this is the kind of picture I have in mind when I read the feeble bind on strength. It's not something he could do himself. He wasn't expected to create within himself this extra pot of strength his friends bound on strength. It was other than him. And this is what God does for us. He doesn't expect us to dig deep and pull out resource that we don't have, but he comes alongside us and he gives us what we need. He binds it onto us and he fills us with his wonderful strength. So for Scriven... He is binding on God's strength. What a comfort, what a privilege for him that God is giving him strength to know Clement is in the best place and God will bring comfort to his friends and family who are now suffering and God will build his church. Yeah, exactly. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. But this is not only in the bad times. We see Hannah here. She's upbeat. She's full of joy. She's bubbling over. Even in the great times, we can still bind on the strength of God. Every day we can say, God, you know where my lack is. Please come and give me a gift of strength, of peace of hope, of all the things that we need. Verses 5 to 7, we see some teeny tiny stories of contrasts. So in verse 5, Hannah tells us about a full person. So that for me, I imagine um, someone who's upright, nice job, nice family, nice house, successful in life, getting on just great, thanks. And we're told that this full person has hired themselves out for bread. What? What on earth has happened that they would need to do that? That is not a circumstance you would ever choose. And then on the flip side, we have a hungry person. Maybe they are unable to get a job. Or maybe they've never had the kind of life which means they can make good decisions that they can provide for their family and look after themselves. For whatever reason, this person is hungry and we see they cease to hunger. What happened? That is amazing. Something has come to completely change their lot in life. That is brilliant. That is definitely a circumstance that you would choose and ask for. God is sovereign. Our circumstances respond to him. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. A huge driving factor in my life is comfort. And God's been teaching me over the last couple of months just how deep this runs. And every kind of choice I make about 
what I do on a Saturday morning is completely revolving around what I want to do, what's going to make me comfortable, or what friends am I going to see, or what am I going to do in my house? I like things to be clean and tidy, so everything's always tidy at home, which is fine, but actually it's because I want it the way I want it which again is fine, but it's such a driving force that God doesn't share in my life. My comfort is not his primary concern, surprisingly. One of the writers says that our troubles have a part to play in getting the will of God done. The will of God. So if God is focused on fulfilling his will, what is it? What is this big thing that he is working towards that we can't see, that our circumstances may not line up with, that our emotions may not tell us about? What is the bigger plan of God? What is the end game that he can see and he is aiming at? We know what it is. His end game is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God's bigger plan is what Clement has already stepped into. His bigger plan is that we, who are known and loved by God, are with him forever and ever, where there is no suffering, no sin, no death. There is nothing that is bad or evil. There is nothing that hurts us. And we are in the glory of the splendor, of the majesty, of the eternal God who made everything and who knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows every day that we live. He loves us and includes us into this big plan, this end game. That is what he sees, and that is what he is working towards, and we are a part of that end game. Even here this morning, we are a part of that. In 2 Corinthians, we read that our momentary troubles are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We can't trust our circumstances. We can't trust our emotions to measure God's love for us. He loves me. Everything is super duper. He loves me not. That's not how it works. He has his end game in mind. He sees the glory of a people for his own possession, sharing eternity with him. What can we do? Gavin told us last week. We bring him our thanks. We dedicate ourselves back again to him, like we've done for Freddie this morning. Say, God, I am yours. And we can worship him. Last point, verse 8. Let me read it. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honour. My job is helping oversee our social justice ministries, which is a posh way of saying helping people 
basically. So we run a food bank, we run a drop-in cafe, we run a midweek service, which is just at the centre of my heart. I love what we're doing there. I love the kind of people that we're able to invite to come on a midweek to become part of a family and a community that is changing all of the places that our people then go out and onto. It's wonderful hearing how relationships made here affects what goes on outside as well. And I love that in this verse, this is not a comparison verse. This is, he raises up the poor. He lifts up the needy. There's no back down again. This is all up. And I love that God has particular care for people in need. This is what I trust. This is why I do my job. And this is why we can hold a much greater vision for the people that we meet than they might even have for themselves. And when it talks about the ash heap, this was a rubbish dump outside of the city. No one would go there unless they were absolutely desperate and in despair. It is the last place on earth you would ever go. And we meet ash heap people here in Nottingham. And we can trust these words that God will raise up the poor and lift up the needy from the ash heap. He can overcome addictions. He can break habits. He can improve and restore relationships. He can bring hope. And, you know, salvation is a gift from God. Isn't it wonderful that it's not up to us how well we do here as to whether someone's heart responds to God? That is his work. We can trust every day. Today might be the day when God brings that person to himself, the pioneer of our salvation. It's wonderful. And he doesn't just lift poor and needy to here. He lifts them up and up and up to be sat with princes on a seat of honour. It's like one of our food bank guys being invited to the Queen's garden party. It's amazing what God can and does do. This is what he's committed to doing. He will bind on strength and he will fill us with what we need. And our circumstances and emotions serve his bigger plan, his end game for us and all who are included in Christ. I'd love us just to finish by singing, by bringing our hearts praise to our wonderful God who's done all this for us. <laughs>